JT, you know how I feel about the NFL <laughs> Combine. I call it the underwear Olympics, all right? I'm not a big fan of it. Uh, for me, the eye in the sky don't lie, right? So our next guest knows a little bit about, well, the Combine, uh, maybe about uh, being drafted, about playing in the NFL. And I, I just read one of his tweets, uh, and you can follow him on Twitter, at ChadBrown94, and I want to read it to our listeners, and then we'll bring him into the show. Here's Chad's tweet. Maybe I'm old, but when did doing the expected at the Combine become an achievement? Athletic guys should jump high. Quarterbacks should throw good balls. Strong men should move weights. The only question should be, can he play? Somehow that important question gets lost in this hype of the NFL Combine. So let's bring in former Steelers uh, linebacker, former Patriots linebacker, former Seahawks linebacker, now a member of the media with us doing his thing as an analyst and a talk show host out there in Denver, Chad Brown. Chad, God bless you for telling it like it is with the Underwear Olympics, my friend. Welcome back. Well, thanks for having me on. And it's it's absolutely true. I, you know, I watched some of the Combine um you know, on television, but I also was paying attention via social media. And to see the hype surrounding guys who weren't necessarily great players in college but somehow ran fast or jumped high, it's like, what are, what are, what are we doing? Are, the, are guys going to get paid based on what they did in the combine and not what you did in three years or four years on a football field in college? How we elevated this experience, which was only really elevated because of the media part of it, and put it above actually playing football, uh, it's it's discouraging, you know, from an old football guy like myself that somehow you can elevate your stock because you performed well in a drill that you had three months to maximize your skill set at versus what you did on a football field during real live football action. And yet fans are so starved for football they're willing to watch and the network's willing to sell it to advertisers, and we're going to watch the, what do you call it, Kenny? The uh, Underwear underwear Olympics Olympics. is what it is. Chad, you know what, when I think of this this combine, you know what comes to mind for me, and I played Division III ball, but I played in high school too, and every time that it would come down to the time where they would take your picture, put your picture in a program, they would always add an inch to your height and about 10 (laughs) pounds to your weight, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, and all the conversation about, Bryce Young and how tall is he going to be? Uh, and yes. somehow if he's over six foot, that means a better draft status. And if he's under six foot, then he's a lesser draft status. Again, this game is played by dudes who can play football. Right. Doug Flutie played a long time mm-hmm. in multiple leagues and was successful in multiple leagues because he could play football. Same for Sam Mills on the defensive side of the ball. He wasn't even 5'10". He could right. play football. So let's not lose track of what you can do and how you can overcome things as a football player. Now, do certain positions, you know, have an ideal physical prerequisites? Of, of, of course they do. To be a successful offensive lineman, if you're under 300 pounds, it's going to be more difficult for you. To be a, a true pocket passer, if you're under 6'3", it's going to be more difficult for you. But mm-hmm. it doesn't make it impossible. And guess what? We have this thing called tape that we can check to see if that made things difficult for you or, or were you able to overcome that and still be a great football player. You remember the talk last year. It was all about Kenny Pickett and his hand size. Baby hands. He, he played baby well hands. this year. Yeah, Kenny Pickett put some gloves on his hands. They <laughs> tremendous gloves, as, as we have seen receivers do now for 20-plus years in the NFL. Makes them better at catching the football. 
if Kenny Pickett's got to put on some gloves to make his quote-unquote small hands better to grip a football, who cares? As long as he's delivering dimes to Steeler wide receivers and not to the opposing team. Again, I think we are just losing track of this core fundamental thing. And I'll give you a story from Bill Belichick. So I was standing next to Bill Belichick after a practice once. Uh, this was this was a long time ago when the first off-season activities were before the draft even happened. And a guy who went to the same school as a kid who was going to be coming up in the draft stopped by Bill to talk to Bill as I was talking to Bill. And he said, oh, you got to watch my guy. Watch my guy at the combine, Bill. He's going to do really well at the L drill. He may have the fastest L drill at the combine. And Bill, being the sarcastic guy that he is, said very sarcastically, well, as soon as we install the L drill play, that's the guy I'm going to draft. Because <laughs> it doesn't translate to football. Oh, that's great. And you know what? That brings to mind, and, and I know Anthony Richardson, the quarterback from Florida, probably going to go in the first round, right? But when I saw that they were going crazy over his vertical jump and his broad jump, uh, Chad, I'm thinking to myself, okay, what are they going to have him do? Take the snap, run, and jump over the line of scrimmage for the first <laughs> down instead of the quarterback sneak? Or, or what? how is he going to – they going to run him out on a pass pattern so he can use his 40.5-inch vertical jump? What did he do in college? And when you look at his numbers in college – you know what? They weren't very good at Florida when you compare his to C.J. Strouds or Bryce Youngs, and that's why I don't know why people are talking about him in the top five of this draft. And part of my tweet that you read to start this segment was based on the, the breathless hype surrounding that guy. And I'm just like, he wasn't that great on the football field, and suddenly we're losing our minds because yeah. he jumped high and he jumped far. Uh, again, there, there's, there, a quarterback shouldn't be jumping. We've all seen the pictures of Tom Brady at his combine. <laughs> yes, instead, he will go down as the greatest quarterback hey. of all time for most people. I know there's going to be some Joe Montana folks that are going to right. stick to that. One I got no problem with that. But even if you include Joe Montana in that, he was certainly no physical specimen. He certainly right. didn't wow anybody with his athleticism or his build or anything like that. Playing the quarterback position ultimately is about processing speed. How quickly can you process the information that is coming across and coming into your body via your eyes? They're in cover two. Now they're going to cover three. Mm-hmm. I got to make a check. My receiver is going to go to this different route progression as the safeties rotate. That means this hot is going to be open on the left side as opposed to the right side. The guys who can quickly go through those kind of mental progressions are the guys who are great quarterbacks, not guys who jump far or jump high. It's all about the intangible. We're a copycat league. We're looking for the next Patrick Mahomes. If a guy can run a 4-5-40 and he can throw the ball a country mile, we're going to take a chance on him, and we're going to see if we can increase his draft stock. Chad Brown is our guest right now, NFL analyst, former linebacker with the Steelers, Patriots, and Seahawks. And, Chad, I want to ask you this question kind of off the topic that we're on right now, but a week ago we had Edger and James in studio, and they're doing some stuff here with the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And I was just wondering myself, and you guys played about the same time. Did you ever go up against the edge? I did go against the edge. Tell us about uh, it. I played, I played uh, against edge a, a number of times. But what, uh, what strikes me in my memory most is preseason, uh, his rookie year. Um, he may be the best back that I ever saw go sideways. And what I mean by that, is, you know, a running back is going to come downhill and get the handoff. Mm-hmm. And then he's going to be kind of patiently looking for a hole to open. 
And when he's doing that, he's typically kind of running, not with his shoulders toward the sideline. He's looking upfield, and his shoulders are headed upfield, but now he's going sideways, waiting and searching for that gap. His ability to go sideways mm. almost as fast as he went forward, that was something I had never seen from an NFL running back before, at least a guy in my experience. So uh, I walked away from that game telling everybody, that kid is going to be awesome. Uh-huh. I saw the success he had in Miami, and I knew mm-hmm. he was a very good college football player. Uh, Bill Polian definitely thought of him as one of the best uh, GMs and draft minds in football history. So I knew for him to make the move from Marshall Falk and then go out and get Edron James, okay, this kid got something special. But then he possessed a skill set at a level that I had never seen before. Because every time a running back went sideways against me and I'm running forward, I could chase him down. I found a way to make the tackle. But he had the ability to outpace me when I'm going forward and he's going sideways and still be faster than me. <laughs> okay, uh, then what was your speed in the 40 at the combine? Oh, man, I was quite disappointing at the combine. Uh, my junior year, when they came up to CU and they tested all the juniors, I was at the University of Colorado, I ran a 4.59. That was my fastest 40 of all time. The only time I ever broke 4.6 in my entire life. Um, at the combine, I believe I ran a high 4.7 and a low 4.8. But my game was never 40-yard sprint. That's right. My game was right. always quickness. Mm-hmm. I need to beat this offensive lineman to this spot. I need to get off on the snap count and beat this offensive tackle before he can go backwards and stop me as a pass rusher. So quickness was always my game and change of direction. The pro agility drill where you go five yards one direction, mm-hmm. 10 yards the other direction, and five yards back the other direction, the 20-yard shuttle, as it's also called, that was really my claim to fame as far as a combine kind of skill set. I actually ran it so fast at my pro day, several of the scouts asked me to do it again because they assumed that the watches were off. Then I did it again <laughs> just as fast. Anal- it's all analytics. You know, for as long as we've ever suited up, played football at any level, the, the measuring stick has always been the 40-yard dash. Kenny was asking me last week, yeah. you see these defensive linemen running 4-4, 4-3-40s. What goes through your mind as a former player? Uh, that they have trained well. Uh, the amount of combine gurus who are available at, at, you know, basically outside of every major college and in all the big cities of America, you can go to Newport Beach. You can go to South Florida. You can go to California. You can come here to Arizona. You can go to Dallas. And as a guy leaving college, and you can go to any of those cities and pay your money and get yourself with a combine guru who is going to take your 40 from you running 40 yards to now you running a specific number of strides. They're going to have this process down to you to a specific number of strides. That's how dialed in they are with the science of running the 40. And once you get offense and defensive linemen running these incredible times, it's got less to do with the athletes themselves because John Randall or Warren Sapp, those dudes are really good athletes playing defensive line. They never ran like that because the science of combine training hadn't gotten to the place where it is now. So it's to the point now where Bill Belichick, who I told the joke earlier, is no longer even attending the combine. These guys are so rehearsed mm-hmm. and so drilled from a performance standpoint, I don't think it really shows you their athleticism. In some ways, it shows you their work ethic. They have applied themselves to this process. Um, right. But does it give you a hint as to what kind of football player they're going to be? At this point, it's so rehearsed, it does not.
That's a great point by you. And, uh, JT, I looked up his stats, over 1,000 career tackles in the NFL, 79 sacks, bunch of fumble recoveries, forced fumbles. Yeah, but they were all slower around him, Kenny. They run these four three forties back there. Oh, come on. This guy could have played in any era, man. He got after you. And uh, I remember him from my days growing up uh, in Pittsburgh as a Stuller fan and everything like that. So, uh, yeah, he maybe not, uh, you know, wild them in the 40-yard dash, but uh, you put pads and a helmet on him, he made plays. Chad Brown is our guest here on the Kenny and JT Show. Follow him on Twitter at Chad Brown 94. All right, Chad, let's talk about the Cleveland Browns here. Uh, this offseason, uh, they're trying to get under the salary cap, right? It's going to be a $55 million cap hit for their quarterback, Deshaun Watson, who underwhelmed actually on the football field in his six games that he played last year. Just your thoughts uh, on this Browns team moving forward, trying to catch those Cincinnati Bengals and stay ahead of the, the Ravens and the Steelers in the AFC North. Well, we, we saw what the Ravens are going to do with Lamar Jackson, give him an opportunity to negotiate with other teams. Um, and if he signs with those teams, he'll get some draft capital back. So clearly they're, they're in, in maybe at the cusp of some significant change over there. Uh, gosh, was it just a couple of days ago, the, the Browns were over almost 14 million bucks over the cap, uh, with less than a week to get under the cap. So Deshaun Watson, uh, contract will need to be, uh, restructured in some way to give them some, some cap room. So when you're up on the cap, sometimes it's very difficult to make any moves. And then the moves that you make tie you to players who are already, who've already put you in a difficult cap situation for even longer because all you're kind of doing is kicking that can down the road to where you have right. to really pay for some of this restructuring. So the Browns find themselves in a tough situation. Uh, I saw, you know, from one of those NFL rumor sites last night, uh, Nick Chubb is possibly being shot. So now you're going to lose Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb. Uh, you had a one-two punch in the backfield that looked like it was going to be tremendous for years to come just two years ago. And now it's a possibility that neither guy will be wearing a Browns uniform this next season. This is why uh, I think cap management is one of the uh, least understood yet most critical pieces of making your team competitive year in and year out. If you decide you're going to rob Peter to pay Paul for success on the field this year, Paul still is going to want his money. Paul still <laughs> needs to get paid. Um, so, you know, you, you, can't, you, you can't escape the realities of the cap. It looks like the Browns are going to be hit head first with the realities of that situation. As I've been telling Kenny for the last week and a half or so, you didn't bring Deshaun Watson in here to hand the ball off. And we know from what we're seeing with Saquon Barkley in New York and maybe Chad or maybe even Derrick Henry in Tennessee – these guys can be moved around, and it's only about a 10 or a $12 million cap hit, and you might be better off getting other pieces, parts, because let's face it, even though he's one of the best running backs in the league, this team's on the outside looking in, and they never make it to the postseason. Chad Brown is our guest right now, and I want to ask you, Chad, in general, as far as defense is concerned, and we talked to Chris Spielman about two years ago, and we asked him about what makes a good linebacker, and he said he gave the props basically to his defensive line. So with that being said, I wanted to ask you what's more important, linebacker, middle linebacker, even more importantly, versus defensive tackle when it comes to stopping the run? Oh, I think i got to go defensive tackle all the way. It just If you want to, to see how the NFL values people, just, just go to one of those NFL salary cap sites and look at who, get, who gets highly paid, who doesn't. Mm. Um, middle linebackers towards the bottom of the list. Even a guy as good as Fred Warner out there is in San Francisco, 
He's making 18 million bucks a year. A good edge guy, TJ Watts, making 28 million dollars a year. A great defensive tackle is going to be above that number as well. So that just goes to show you the the, the value of that. I think Aaron Donald is 35 million dollars a year. I know his contract is yep. a bit of an outlier, but that just goes to show you how valuable he is versus the best inside linebacker in the game, and Fred Warner almost double what Fred Warner makes is what uh, Aaron Donald makes. So the that position, it's very difficult to play linebacker mm-hmm. behind guys who don't either occupy the right gaps because they don't know what to do or aren't strong enough to hold off double teams because you know, now they're going to get you. They're going to get you as a linebacker in those one-on-one situations against an offensive lineman uh, who's got you outweighed by 100 pounds possibly, and that's not going to make you a very successful run stuffer if they can do that. So clearly the defensive tackle is the more important position. Chad, in your history of the NFL, can you build a team through free agency? Uh, I think you can get by for a year or two, but again, it goes back to that thing I just said. You're, if you do not use the draft to get yourself a roster full of lower paid players and you go through the free agent route as the Rams did, then you're going to be faced with the dismantling of your team within a couple of years. And you're going to be left with a pretty bare cupboard because you don't go free agency and pick up core special teams guys. You maybe get one guy through that. You get those guys in the draft. That's your next linebacker in waiting, guy who plays on all four of the special teams, and now he's your, your fourth or fifth linebacker in the game. Your, your fourth or fifth receiver needs to have a role on special teams. You know, your, your third or fourth running back needs to have a role on special teams. And if you're building all through free agency and you're paying your starters all that big money, it makes it difficult to have that kind of depth. Um, and it chips away at your special teams first, then it chips away at your depth. Um, and then eventually one of those big money starters gets nicked up and you don't have a replacement to go in the game for them, and your whole system around you crumbles. You can say F them draft picks like the Rams did for a couple of years, but we see where the Rams were this past season and where they're likely headed again this season. I want to go back to that question JT asked you, Chad Brown, about uh, you know the linebacker and how they benefit from the defensive tackles, uh, especially I think back to your career. Correct me if I'm wrong on this. I think when you were your second go-round with the Steelers, Casey Hampton anchored the, the middle of that line, and you also played with Vince Wilfolk, didn't you, in New England? I did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those two guys come to mind right away. As I, I think of the prototypical guy, uh, Aaron Donald's uh, unto himself, right? He's a Hall of Famer who can play inside, outside. Those guys, their job was to take on two or sometimes three guys, right? Uh, clear the, the path for the linebackers to come up and, and make a play. Is that still the way today, or do you? is it more important to have the edge guys and not spend as much on those middle guys because the linebackers aren't considered uh, on the middle of the field as important? Well, you know, for the Pittsburgh Steelers, who've run the same style of defense since before I became a Pittsburgh Steeler in 1993, uh, that nose guard is a critically important piece of what they do. Uh, the 3-4 defense is really kind of built down the middle. I know it's the edge guys who get a lot of the attention from a sack number standpoint, but you need yourself a quality nose guard, some good inside linebackers, and a good safety to play the 3-4 successfully. Now you're going to move on to the 4-3. That's a little bit of a different equation. Now when I played with Vince Wilfork, he was a true nose guard. But Bill Belichick recognized that there were fewer and fewer of those guys coming out of college, and it was getting more and more expensive to find a truly great stud nose guard. 
Um, he went through Ted Washington, then he had Vince Wilford for a long time. And once Vince was getting near the end of his career, the Patriots even moved to a 4-3 front because it's easier to find and less expensive to find two quality defensive tackles who can provide you with some help on double teams so your linebackers can skate free and things like that, as opposed to that truly great stud nose guard, that guy's going to be at the top of the salary ranks. So uh, even the structure of your defense, 3-4 versus 4-3, will play into your salary cap implications and the quality of players you have to have at certain spots. Interesting stuff from Chad Brown, former NFL player, now an analyst, radio talk show host. Follow him on Twitter, at ChadBrown94. Chad, we're seeing uh, some numbers come out today. Danny Dimes is going to stay uh, with the New York Giants. It looks like four years, $160 million. Don't know how much of that is guaranteed. Lamar Jackson, you mentioned the Ravens uh, giving him uh, the, the franchise tender contract. One year, $32 million, but if he signs elsewhere, they get two first-round picks. you got uh, Derek Carr going to the New Orleans Saints. We've said this in the past. I want to know from a guy who chased down quarterbacks in his career. Is the quarterback position the most important position, not just in football but in all of sports, or is too much made about the quarterback? I think both are true. (laughs) Too much is made about the quarterback. The quarterback cannot be successful without a team team. Ten teammates out there helping them out. Offensive line blocking, receivers catching, running backs running. Uh, the greatest quarterback in the world cannot be successful without a good team surrounding him. Um, at the same time, if you don't have a quarterback, you don't have a chance. Um, now, I'm wondering what's going to happen in the next four to seven years in the NFL. As fewer and fewer college guys are coming out of college truly equipped to be pocket passers in the mold of Peyton Manning, Drew Brees, Tom Brady, Heck, even going back to Dan Marino and Aikman and all those guys. And more and more guys are coming out with a uh, Justin Fields, Trey Lance kind of skill set. Do NFL teams begin to shift what they do? Does it become more of a running league? And you know, and they, want, they say, you know what? We're not going to keep on this quest for trying to find a true franchise quarterback. We're going to get the best guy we can out of college. And if he only lasts three or four years because we ask him to run the ball all the time, well, then we'll just get a new one. And that's how we're going to do things. And we're going to overwhelm him with our defense and with our running game, and we're never going to pay a quarterback, you know, 40 or 50 million bucks a year because we'll just draft a new guy out of college who can run the zone read, who can run some option stuff, and can occasionally hit a pass downfield to a tight end or a crossing wide receiver. Well, we don't need this guy to be a 70% passer because we're going to pound you to death running the football. I wonder if teams are going to start taking that tactic because that's going to be a better way to build a team without ever having to pay top dollar for a quarterback, which we know typically rucks, uh, wrecks your salary cap structure. The Browns have been trying to do that for 24 years, and it hasn't worked. <laughs> and now all of a sudden you're telling us we finally decide to pay somebody and they're going to go in the tank because they should have just waited until the next kid came out of college. Thanks, Chad Brown. <laughs> ruining no, teams okay. for decades we appreciate it if you think you got that guy then i think you do it but i think if i'm the new york giants and i'm like i gotta pay this guy 40 million bucks a year and our roster was really you know didn't have a ton of talent last year so how are we going to find ways to put more talent around him no if i'm the new york giants i'm gonna say you know what maybe we offense and we we can out of college and we go with a college style offense and we just wear down these NFL defenses that are built to defend the pass. 
You know, I talked about Fred Warner being, uh, you know, a great linebacker. Part of his game is, is he's so great in coverage. You run the ball 40 times with Fred Warner, that's not his skill set. He doesn't want that kind of smoke. So, again, it's going to take a bold coach and a bold organization to make that move, but I think that would be successful because teams have been built to throw the ball for so long, they would not be able to handle a true outlier who is dedicated to pounding the rock game in and game out. Fantastic stuff from Chad Brown talking Browns NFL uh, with us, the Underwear Olympics, all that good stuff that finished up there in Indianapolis. Hey, Chad, we always appreciate the time. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll do this again down the road, all right? A lot of fun, guys, as always. Thank you. Have a good one. Chad Brown, follow him on Twitter at ChadBrown94. Back with more of the Kenny and JT Show. Time to sprinkle the infield when we return. Stay with us.